Welcome back to another episode of the Piano Pod. I am your host, Yukimi Song. So, for this episode, I invited Dr. Priscilla Navarro, multi award winning concert pianist, chamber musician, educator, and advocate of Latin American pianists. So, I went to this concert in January of 2023. It was hosted by American List Society, New York, New Jersey chapter. And there were three amazing young concert pianists who were performing that night. And then Priscilla, today's guest, was one of them. And her performance really stood out. Don't get me wrong, all three pianists were superb. However, I don't know what it was, but Priscilla's performance took me to, to a different place. Like I felt like I was on a journey somewhere, and all the five senses got activated. It's really something special to experience that when you attend a piano concert. Since then, I wanted to invite her. And I just finished interviewing her. And she is not only a, an amazing pianist, but she has a lot of wisdom of life. And she's doing some amazing things for her,、uh, the community of her native country, Peru, creating a bridge between the classical music and then the society in a much bigger way. So, you get to hear all these amazing stories from Priscilla. So, before inviting the guest of the episode, Dr. Priscilla Navarro. I want to welcome everyone who is listening or watching the piano pod for the first time. I'm a classical pianist and educator from New York City, passionate about creating a thriving and meaningful community of the classical music industry through this podcast. Please visit yukimisongstudio.com to find out more about my work. In each episode of the piano pod, I interview a guest speaker who has been breaking exciting new ground in the industry. Before getting started, I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Please rate the show and review it on Apple Podcasts or review it on wherever you get your podcasts because every rating review will help people find my show. So here we go, dear friends. Please enjoy the show. You are listening to the Piano Pod, where we talk to the brightest minds in the industry about how they are bringing the piano into the 21st century. I am honored to welcome Dr. Priscilla Navarro, multi award winning concert pianist, chamber musician, and educator, who was described as the new Peruvian figure of the piano. So, welcome, Priscilla. Thanks so much for being here today. My pleasure. Thank you for this invitation. Oh, of course. So, you know, I went to the concert back in January of this year. It was a cold night in New York. It was at the Yamaha Artist Services in Midtown Manhattan. And I was invited by、uh, Gila Goldstein. She is the、uh, in charge of American List Society, New York, New Jersey chapter. And then she sent me the invitation of the concert, which、uh, featuring three young winners of List International Piano Competitions. And then one was Was Ji Hyun、uh, Guak, and then another person was you, and then the third person was Derek Wong. And I was really、uh, blown away by all these three amazing young pianists and playing beautiful list pieces. And but you caught my attention <laughs> because, well, you I have to admit, you know, it's very rare still, unfortunately, to hear accomplished. Latin American female pianist, you know, winning multiple competitions and play, you know, exquisitely. And then, but also, I think the way you presented 
your concert, your program, which struck me so much and uh, how you were able to connect with your audience. Although, you know, audience members, they were all professional musicians, mm -hmm. mostly was attending. But even then, I really uh, was um, impressed by the way you were connecting with your audience. So I want to know about the concert experience. But before that, can you tell me about the competition? Yes. So um, I participated in many list competitions. The first one was in the Liz Garretson competition in Baltimore, Maryland, and that was uh, way back in 2013. And I was a winner then, and I met uh, Gila Goldstein there, as well as many other list experts. So, but then years later in 2021, there was a New York list competition, the first edition of the New York list competition, and I won second place in that competition. And the year before that, in 2020, I was a semifinalist in the Netherlands list Utrecht competition. Uh, but unfortunately, that competition was canceled due to COVID. There are so many, sounds like, list competitions. Are they all sort of related? Like, let's say, no, the one in Utrecht, Netherlands, that's like the really big deal. The biggest, almost like, a, you know, Chopin competition, right? Yes. The one that Liz Garretson that I won way back was organized by the American List Society. And the New York List competition is directed by Adam Georgi. And the Liz Netherlands, like you said, is probably the biggest. And that is, you know, a whole organization that puts up this competition every three years. But yes, for a list lover, it's fortunate that there is a lot of competitions honoring lists and they all have different repertoire, different focuses. So I've been happy learning all this music for competitions. So tell us about your experiences with these competitions, especially the latest one that you won second prize. So you were able to perform with two other amazing artists. How was it like to uh, win and also perform with them? Um, it was it was wonderful. Um, that competition was all online on the first edition. So I actually presented all my videos. I am a big list lover. So I always have this repertoire that I'm working on or that I've recently performed. So at that point, I submitted Beethoven's Symphony Transcribed by List, the first Beethoven symphony, along with Saraband by Handel. And I believe the Weinenklegensorgensagen Variations by Bach transcribed by List as well. So, but that just happened to be the repertoire that I had at that year from from list. More recently, in the in the recital, I actually performed different works, as you may remember.
concert at the Yamaha uh, in January 2023, which I attended. You performed all waltz. So uh, waltz by, you know, list. And then you ended with this Peruvian waltz, like which is a... transcribed by you right mm-hmm. so when when uh, gila presented us with this opportunity to perform you know share a recital between the three of three winners of list competitions i wanted to present a program that went beyond just you know good music represented and list one of the wonderful things about him is that he composed so many works and he had so many different facets that you can really showcase different areas of his works. So for this one, I chose waltzes. Of course, he wrote many more waltzes than this, but even in the samples that I played, you get a good sense of a wide range of list compositional stages. Mm-hmm. So I put, uh, I played a Mephisto Waltz number no. three, which is a later work. It's kind of a exploration of Um, different sonorities. It's not entirely, it is tonal, but it, it, it it's not as centered as his early works. You know, it is virtuosic, but that's not the main focus. And then the Vals Impromptu is a great example of a more uh, salon-like piece that he might have written in his youth. And I also think it's severely, um, it's not played as often as it should. You know, it used to be, and probably Sifra has the best interpretation of that work, but I still feel like for young people, it's wonderful to discover, you know, things beyond what people normally play by list. And then the Waltz from Faust is fairly popular and it's a wonderful work and it's really an audience pleaser and it shows this kind of uh, superstar side of Liszt's personality. And then um, I connected it to a Peruvian waltz because it's very important to me to not only, you know, excel in the classical music world, but connect to my roots and to people from Peru. And, you know, coming from a a family and a a population that where really classical music isn't a main focus, it's Mm. important for me to kind of bridge these two worlds and show that we have more in common than we might think. Mm -hmm. So the waltz was actually imported from Europe to Peru hundreds of years ago, and it became a main form of popular criollo music. And the that I played is one of the most popular. It was declared a national kind of cultural heritage And it does have a man who composed it, but it, uh, Augusto Polo Campos, but it was made popular in the voice of a female Afro-Peruvian singer who is usually identified with this piece. So, and it's a, it's a song that every Peruvian will know and will almost, you know, be able to sing, sing along. And um, we had members of the Peruvian community in the recital So it was important for me to include this work as well. Wow, that's so neat. Now, I, I didn't realize it's actually a song song, right? And oh, so absolutely. Yes, it's um, so Criollo music usually involves a voice, a singer, then guitar, cajon, and then any other accompanying instrument. So it has lyrics. The title is Come Back. You know, it's kind of a love song. 
Yeah, it's a very, very popular song, and I made a piano transcription. Wow, the title is Come Back. Yes. Mm, what, a, what a perfect title for you to arrange, right? <laughs> and you are from Peru, and then you came to the States and established your life here and your career and even artistry. This is where uh, we're able to pursue your career, mm -hmm. uh, musical career. Yet, Peru, your native country says, come back. And then you uh, you came back with uh, the arrangement of this one. like um, transcription work or arranging uh, or playing by ear, for example? Oh, absolutely. I've uh, throughout my life, it started, you know, when I was a kid and I loved anime as a <laughs> child back in Peru. And I made a, a lot of arrangements of songs from that. But what's interesting is that in many ways that helped me even with classical Things. So when I write, you know, Mozart cadenzas and anything creative that involves not only playing what's written, but adding kind of your own take. So that all, I feel like it's all a creative side that oftentimes in classical music, we kind of leave behind. In, in, as far as Peruvian music, this was my first like official uh, transcription that I made, but I'm, I'm working on several others and I would like to, you know, continue publishing it. Many people have actually asked me for the sheet music for this arrangement. So I can you get it? Can, can yes. I get it? Yes, yeah? you can on my website. Yes. Oh, really? Oh, cool. <laughs> so your website is Priscilla Navarro. Navarro.com and I, yes. I can find the, the score and Wow, I, I will definitely do. So no wonder your performance was memorable because probably one of the reasons was this creative side of you was really speaking loudly through, uh, through your performance. And uh, mm -hmm. Thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah, I, I really uh, believe in creating a rich musical experience for the audience so that it's not just that they're going to listen to great classical music works, but that they are in some way um, having this whole experience that is, you know, designed for them and uh, intended to help them connect to the composer, to the performer, to the music world in general. You know, and there are many ways of doing that. Creating a, a program that is engaging is one of those ways. And then showing all the sides of your identity is also part of, you know, being a full artist, I believe. Wonderful. We're going to talk more about this topic later. Mm -hmm. So to my listeners, I want to officially introduce 
Dr. Priscilla Navarro by citing her brief bio. So Peruvian pianist Priscilla Navarro performs solo recitals and chamber works and a large selection of concerti with orchestras in renowned concert halls worldwide. Her talent has been widely recognized by winning first prize at several international competitions, including Liszt International Competition, the uh, Chopin International Competition of Texas, the Haida Hermans International Music Competition, and more. Priscilla holds a Doctor of Musical Arts degree in piano performance and pedagogy from the Frost School of Music at the University of Miami, where she also completed master's and artistic diploma degrees as a student of Santiago uh, Rodriguez and Kevin Kenner. Besides her busy performance career, Priscilla is a passionate educator. She currently serves as a faculty member at her alma mater, Florida Gulf Coast University, where she received her undergraduate degree. In addition, Priscilla is the current artistic director of the Parnassus Music Society, where she hosted the first international piano competition, an event born of her initiative to showcase and promote talented Latin American pianists. So here we are continuing our conversation to learn more about Priscilla's adventurous life and career as a multi-award winning pianist and educator, which started in Peru and trained and nurtured and flourished in the United States to become the first prize winner of the world's renowned piano competitions. And you will hear how she is giving back the gift of music to the people and musical community of her native country, Peru. So Priscilla, how did you discover your love for the piano and music? Well, I was born in Huanuco, Peru, which is a city about uh, nine hours northeast of the capital of Peru, Lima. It's a city that is uh, between the Andes and the Amazon. And it's uh, renowned for having a great, great climate and weather. Oh, my God. Um, but in my family and many of the people in the community um, didn't really have classical music in their environment. You know, there weren't classical concerts. I never mm -hmm. attended a classical concert until I started studying the piano. It was some part of our daily lives, really. But uh, when I was five years old, my father wanted me to learn an instrument. So I, I actually learned several instruments. I learned guitar. I learned cajon. Um, I think we were trying to go with something that could play popular music as well. But I ended up landing on the piano and I, uh, I actually owned a keyboard and that's where I, where I learned for several years. And um, I had wonderful loving teachers at that point. But kind of my more formal training came when we moved to the capital when I was nine. You know, my teacher from Wanuko told me that I needed to go to the conservatory, that the conservatory was the place for me. And so I prepared for the entrance exam. You know, my mom and I, we moved to, to Lima. She was pursuing a master's and I was kind of entering into all these opportunities, new opportunities. And one of those was the conservatory. I was very lucky to be admitted and I ended up with the best teacher for me at that point, Lydia Hung is mm -hmm. her name. Uh, she is actually currently the president of the National University of Music in Peru. Okay. And um, she was my teacher for seven years. And there I really fully discovered classical music and I fell in love with it. 
gradually it just you know like most young people at one point you're just immersed in this world where you feel connected to the composers you feel like you have this higher purpose of sharing the gift of classical music and um i trained there and she really taught me most of what i needed to know about the piano and styles and you know she gave me a, a great great foundation for seven years but now i i also read this article about you and saying your parents are actually engineers your family whole family is and then and also the country peru is really sort of uh, encouraging people to produce more engineers or something like that is it true yes yes so i was uh, very geared towards the mathematical side my parents and many of my aunts and uncles are engineers my grandparents were you know physics teachers in high school and um so i i did at one point considered following that career path as well and when i was a child i was kind of recruited to a program that was intensely designed to gear children towards engineering and um, when i was 13 years old i remember was when i made the choice to you know dedicate my life to music so i left this program because it usually lasted all day and it didn't give me time to practice or do any musical activities so i decided to go back to a normal school and you know my teacher also told me you have to you have to um be a musician i think she could see that i really loved it and even the teachers at my school said you know they they had seen uh, something about me on tv because i was promoting a concert and they said you know you you really belong in that world we have enough enough engineers and you know physicists and all of this experts but we don't have enough musicians so that's kind of when i i really made the decision to pursue music professionally but you know it's a cliche to say mathematics and then music are connected but it but you're the uh, proof right <laughs> oh, absolutely i i feel like i really haven't used my mathematics in years you know <laughs> but I I think part of the attraction in music was that it is organized in a system, you know, where everything falls in place and you can you can see the structure and all these things and yet it has this also meaning beyond it that can't really be put into words. So your teacher um Lydia Hung. So Ms. Hung, uh she was actually really the one who changed almost changed your life like your pathway. Oh, right? absolutely. I I you know, and to this day she's been an influential person artistically, you know, every time I would go back, I would ask for her feedback. You know, she taught me, you know, how to dress for the stage and walk on the stage and take a bow and and everything and um I think that has influenced me not only as a pianist but as a teacher. I would like to, you know, have that kind of mentorship towards my students and really uh, show them the, how wonderful music can be even though it is hard and you will many times doubt whether you made the right choice but having that support really makes it worth it you also have another wonderful mentor mm-hmm. Dr. Michael Barron and fast forward you guys 
collaborated and <laughs> performed at Carnegie. We're going to talk more about that, but let's start with uh, the beginning of how you met Dr. Barron, and then he is the one who prepared your path in the United States, right? Yes. So um, when I was finishing high school back in Peru, I struggled a lot. You know, we didn't own a piano. And so I had to find many places to practice. Lima is a very chaotic city. And, you know, even going to concerts and thinking about how I would get home and if it's dangerous and all those things, it was just very difficult for me to pursue music. And honestly, also for my family, it was very nerve wracking to think, you know, because there weren't many musicians who we knew that were living from music and able to support themselves, you know. So they were very concerned and my teachers saw that it was kind of unsustainable for me to pursue music staying there. So she said, you know, you, you should go to the U.S. You should go to a, a school where you can have a place to practice and have a, a teacher that is committed to your career. Coincidentally, Dr. Barron uh, had started going to Peru to give concerts and master classes and was recruiting students. So my teacher, Lydia, she met him. I wasn't actually there. I was, I was in the U.S. for some uh, summer camp. But uh, she met him and she saw him teaching and she thought that he would be a mentor in the way that she had been and that he would be a good person for me to um, have as a guide that would not only support me, you know, music wise, but that would also have understanding for all the things that I needed at that point. You know, a 15 year old coming to the U.S. from a very different culture requires a lot. Did you come here by yourself? I did. Yes. Oh, wow. So young. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, so she spoke to him and, you know, I sent him some videos of like an audition on tape and he offered me a scholarship and um, I was able to come and he really was a wonderful mentor. He had this whole community of people that helped me adjust culturally that would take me shopping, you know, if you know, in Florida, you don't really do anything without a car. And of course, I, right. I didn't have a car, I didn't even have a license, nobody in my family drives. So it was a whole uh, adjustment. But he was really committed to, you know, overlooking my well being. And then pianistically, he really let me flourish, and kind of uh, grow into a bigger potential. Wow, you know, so I when I I try not to read someone else like artist bio until after I listen to the whole concert because I just don't want my mind to sort of disturb the really beauty of music. You know what I mean? Disrupt the the, the all the information sometimes like uh, mess up my judgment, mm -hmm. right, or perception of music. Then, so I listened to your concert. Afterwards, I finally read everybody's bio in January. And then I saw your bio and then I realized, wow, you didn't actually go to this big, big old name schools. Like, that's something that you I usually see, especially the level of performance you do. I was expecting the big, big name schools somewhere, right? But I realized now that 
starting from, I'm not saying anything bad about or negative about your the school you went to, but actually the community of people are supporting you. And it's not about going to school and then, you know, get better at piano playing, but also you have to really, especially international student. I was an international student too when I came to States. So I know what it takes to sort of be in the society and then you have to learn. I have to learn to drive the opposite way. <laughs> I'm from all these things. I mean, which is, that's just a minor thing, but everything. So now I understood how important it is as a young person, as a young female student, to have this community of, of people helping you and waiting for you to come to the state. Oh, absolutely. I feel, you know, um, a lot of times I feel like, oh, I wish I would have at some point had that experience of being at a, at a big school or like at a musically, you know, long established. Um, but uh, I feel like my education was just as rich. It was just different. And the fact that I had to do all these things on my own and I had to really fight for my place, you know, even in competitions, I was always the only one from my schools in these big competitions. I was always the only Peruvian from in competitions. And I really feel like I had to forge my own path. And I had this whole community of people that helped me and enabled me to do that. And I think that that's wonderful. And I feel like as a teacher, you know, I can tell my students that it is possible and that it is, it's all a matter of determination. Your determination is quite admirable. This episode is presented in collaboration with our good friends at Forte, a free alternative to Zoom, purpose-built for music teachers. Forte offers features optimized for classical music lessons, including audio quality far superior to existing platforms and allowing you to hear every nuance of your student's instrument. Their colleagues at the Royal College of Music, Aspen Music Festival, Curtis Institute, and Berklee College of Music have even used Forte in their own programs. Forte's mission is to radically expand access to high-quality music education worldwide. Forte always puts teachers and their students first. This means you can use Forte with your own students for free forever. And Forte will soon introduce paid features allowing you to connect with new students around the world. Sign up for free today at ForteLessons.com or click the link in the description. After so many years, fast forward, you formed a duo with Dr. Varen and recorded and released an album, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it's a piano forehand du- duet? Um, it's both forehand and two piano. So we have a, a piano duo. We play, you know, a lot of times it's difficult to find a stage with two great pianos. So we do a lot of forehands, but we also have two piano repertoire. And this the, the album that we recorded it was difficult to choose because we'd played almost every everything in the two piano repertoire, but uh, we wanted again to find a program that made sense and that had linearity of a narrative. So we chose French music for piano duo. So we have works by Sessons, Debussy, Ravel, uh, Poulenc. Oh, wonderful. And then is this album available on music streaming services? Yes, yes, yes. It's everywhere. It's on Apple Music. Um, it's by the actual physical CD on mm-hmm. Amazon or on the website of the recording company. 
And what's the name of the album? The album is French Music for Piano Duo. Oh, okay. But if you look Baron Navarro Duo, that might mm -hmm. be easier to find. <laughs> oh, great. Now, what it's like to come to the point where you get to perform with your mentor? That's special. Uh, yeah, so we, we started playing, actually, when I was a student. I was, you know, I was kind of the student that was doing the most as far as, you know, concerts and all of that. And so we, we started playing together then. I feel very lucky because he had all this experience of playing in piano duos. It's really a very specific ability, especially forehands. You know, you would think that you have fewer notes and it should be easier. But being able to balance everything and share your sonority with someone else, it's really completely different and very difficult to, to do well. So he had already all this experience. He had he had a duo with his former teacher. So he had, you know, visions of how he wanted each piece. And I feel like we just complemented each other really well. And, um, you know, we've had this wonderful, long, long relationship of, you know, first I was a student, then we started playing together. Now I teach alongside him at FGCU. Yeah, it, it's wonderful. Also, you performed with him at Carnegie Hall last year? Yes. So part of our, um, we wanted to do a premiere recital, Carnegie Hall. So we got to do that in March of 2022. And we had a great reception. Again, we had uh, members of the Peruvian community there as well. Oh, wow. Of course, members of the FGCU community. So mm -hmm. it was a wonderful experience. FGCU is the Florida Gulf Coast University where you yes. are teaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yes. wonderful. Now we're going to go back to where we were. So then after you graduated from your undergrad, then you went to study at the University of Miami for School of Music. Of course, when, I when it came to my master's degree, I auditioned everywhere and I consider a lot of teachers. There's so many good teachers, but... I wanted someone who really fit my personality and would help me find my own personal voice in music. Because at that point, I was a good pianist. I was a very professional pianist. I had, you know, all the foundation that I needed, but I was still, I hadn't found my own personal contribution to music. So I met Santiago Rodriguez at that point. And um, I spoke with him and I just felt like we really had a connection where he would help me grow and find who I was as a musician and not just a good pianist, but me, you know, an irreplaceable voice that made me feel like I needed to play because nobody else could do that. Yeah, I just really connected with him and I decided to go to Miami. I first went for my master's. I did my master's with him. Then he said, you know, yeah, we, we do so well together, but you should get other, other experience from other teachers. And he sent me to the new teacher at that point, who was Kevin Kenner, who had just joined the faculty. And he was also a wonderful person. I actually had the honor and privilege of bringing him to Peru for his kind of South American debut. You know, he's a huge, huge superstar in Europe, Asia, and the United States, but he hadn't really performed much 
in Latin America. So my organization, Parnassus, did his, um, his organized his debut there. And I learned so much from him, but he's also just really inspiring because he's a wonderful, caring, um, compassionate person. Anyways, and then I did my doctorate and I also studied with Dr. Naoko Takao, who was my pedagogy teacher. Mm-hmm. And she made me passionate about benefiting from the research and wealth of knowledge that comes in piano pedagogy. Mm-hmm. You know, up to that point, I, before I met her, I liked piano pedagogy, but I thought that piano pedagogy was about teaching children only. Yeah, I had a wonderful time in Miami. I um, made wonderful connections. I played with many of the teachers there, and I still keep in contact with them. Hey, TPP friends and listeners. The Piano Pod is in its third season. Thanks to all of you for watching or listening to every episode since its launch in 2020. I started this show with a, a simple question I had in mind for quite some time, which is how can we as classical pianists and music educators present the beautiful classical music tradition to the 21st century audience in a fun, contemporary, and engaging way? It's been an incredible journey for the last three years. I love what I do through this podcast providing a platform for pianists and educators to reflect and discuss freely how we can keep the classical music industry thriving and relevant in this rapidly changing world. Now more than ever, I need your support so that I can continue my work by bringing you highly valuable content bi-weekly by interviewing groundbreakers in the industry. Your support will go directly to all the costs of the Piano Pod, such as a yearly subscription to the podcast hosting platform, the software I use for high-quality recording sessions, and tech gear, as well as all the hours I spend researching and audio and video editing. You can make a one-time donation or monthly pledge by clicking the PayPal link in the show notes or going to TPP's website at thepianopod.com. As a thank you, you will receive the Piano Pod's fun logo sticker in the mail. So please support my show today and don't forget to subscribe, continue listening, and tell your friends and colleagues about the Piano Pod. Let's continue with the episode. Now, before getting into more into your contribution to the Society of Peru, I want to talk about your passion for piano competitions. One of the competitions you did, it's the International City of Vigo competition in Spain, and it was you won this uh, special Bach Prize, and the jury presided by Martha Argerich. What is that? <laughs> um, yeah, so I've, I've entered competitions throughout my life. I can't say I really enjoy them always, you know, it feels like you're giving all of yourself and not necessarily seeing the return right away. It really helps you to be at that kind of top, top level of accuracy and where you feel you're completely in control. And, um, and then I just love the opportunity to travel, you know, I got to do so many competitions in different places. I ended up attending the Imola Academy um, after I won a competition there in Imola in Italy. I, um, you know, got to know so many cities around the world through competitions. And also as a young person, it often seems like the only way to further your career. 
um, because it's so difficult to be creative. You know, people are like, oh, you can do anything now. You can do whatever you want. But there aren't many obvious ways of increasing your career. So competitions was one of the main, main ways to do that. Yeah. So in 2019, I was surfing the web for competitions or events, and I found this Vigo competition in Spain. And I love Spain. I play a lot of Spanish music. And, um, and then I saw, you know, Martha Argerich edition and that she was going to be the head of the jury, but not only she, but there was going to be Nelson Freire, oh my goodness. Sergio Tiempo and Tomas Vasari and Pablo Galdo, who is the director of the competition. And so I said, wow, you know, to play for Martha Argerich, of course, growing up, you know, and discovering her videos and just her whole figure, she was such a historical person for everybody, of course, but especially for us uh, Latin American girls, seeing that this Argentinian woman had basically, you know, taken the world in her hands and just gone like all the way to the top and become probably one of the best living pianists. So the idea of playing for her or even, you know, that she would know that I exist um, (laughs) was very very motivating. So I decided to enter. And of course, there were like 400 people who entered because who wouldn't want to be, you know, go and play for Martha Argerich. So I went and, you know, in the first round, I played some of my Bach. I love Bach. And um, I was fortunate to be one of the five finalists there. Oh, my goodness. And um, some of the other winners, I later met at like Leeds competition or other, you know, they've gone on to win, you know, all these other competitions, but um, I received this special Bach prize and it was very meaningful to me because I love Bach and I'm very passionate about the way that I feel I play Bach. I feel reflects um, at least to my interpretation, kind of this deeper, more human side of Bach that is not always just, you know, correct Baroque playing, And the fact that she would give me this prize, it was almost like, if she's okay with my Bach, then nobody else can criticize my Bach. (laughs) Because a lot of times people would be like, oh, it's too romantic, or, oh, it's because you're Latin American, you know, it's too passionate or whatever. And so I feel like now that if Martha Argerich was okay with my Bach, then everybody should be (laughs) right well you have the stamp of approval but also you know we should not forget that Bach is a musician was a musician he composed music so we have to be musical it's not just about this accuracy of playing Bach or you know counterpoint and it dots but it's really the music that drives his music his composition too right mm. yeah so but which Bach pieces did you play at the this um point? at the Vigo competition I only played the fantasy and fugue uh in a minor VWB 904 one of my favorite pieces um in fact I'm playing it again this summer but um you know throughout my life I played I played uh, Goldberg variations at semifinals in uh several competitions so you have a wide range of repertoire. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. Do you play like most like all four, five different periods? Or? Yes, it's very important to me. Um, and that's part, partly due to my teacher, Lydia. She kind of showed me the richness of Baroque 
an early classical. And, you know, I know everybody loves, has to love Mozart and Bach and Haydn, but, you know, seeing that there is a different richness there that is not just, you know, we see everything through romantic lenses now and we see things, you know, as pretty and this and that, but in during the classical era, music was more like speech and being able to see all those little details and find more in that light is very important to me. So I, I love all um, stages of music. I play Baroque, classical. I can't really say that I play a lot of Baroque besides Bach because I feel Bach is so, there's just so much to do there. But I do play occasionally Escarlati or um, Antonio Soler or other you know, Baroque composers. Well, speaking of you know Baroque music, instrument was very different. So basically we're playing sort of like a piano transcription, although we're not changing much. Um, so what do you think about all the articulation issues to phrasing even? Now that now now that you have the stamp of approval from <laughs> from Martha, so you get to say this. Well, I think that you know I I did a research once in my masters about uh, how piano students perceive Bach, and I found that a lot of my colleagues and a lot of people you know all around wouldn't choose to play Bach if they could choose their own program. They wouldn't include Bach. And that's, that's evident, you know, even from really, really famous people, unless you are, you know, under Schiff or more a pariah, or you're not regularly performing or hearing Bach in big concerts, you know, we hear Rachmaninoff lists. And so um, I feel like John Elliott Gardiner one time in an interview, they, they asked him, you know, what's the purpose of historical informed performance or the hip movement? And he said, it's really about just making this music more relevant to today. Because the problem is that when we perceive that music through the lenses of romanticism, there's only a little we can see. We only see that it's a structured. We only see that it's perfectly made. We only see that it might be beautiful at times. Um, but that is so limited when we bring in these articulations and we realize that you know it's basically like speech there are forms of articulations and so it just becomes so much richer you're able to bring to life a lot of this music and it, it isn't that there is one right way to do it um, because as you say it's a transcription but we can use kind of common sense in finding ways to make the music as rich as possible in the modern piano. So obviously the modern piano is heavier. We can't, uh, you know, play all four voices as, as loud because we just wouldn't be able to hear them. We have to make a lot of things lighter, but we also have dynamics. So besides articulations, we can distinguish the functions of the voices by giving them different dynamics and giving them different colors. And we don't use as much agogic because we don't need to. You know, we use a little bit because it, it needs it, especially if it's a dance, it needs to breathe. But um, not nearly as much as we would on the harpsichord because the harpsichord doesn't have dynamics and colors. Mm. So I feel like there is a way to, a reasonable way to compromise that, as you say, still makes it music 
that's the main point. It's music, it's human, it's dance, it's fun. It's, um, you know, it's even Bach, you know, you, you might think, oh, he was such a religious man and always talking to God. But it was it's this human side that he was talking to God, but about regular daily life things. So. Mm -hmm. I'm sure, I'm sure, especially with, with this him being the father of how many children, and I'm sure he was, help me, right? Very, very practical man in many, you know, many ways. He was always complaining about not having enough musicians in his, in his choir and, you know, these people not being as serious as they should be. And one, I think he was just a very practical person that made this amazingly perfect amazingly structured music made by a regular man. <laughs> that concludes the first half of this fun episode of The Piano Pod with Dr. Priscilla Navarro, List International Competition winner, concert pianist, educator, and the new Peruvian figure of the piano. If you enjoyed this episode, please rate and review it wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can also watch this episode on The Piano Pod's YouTube channel. And don't forget to follow The Piano Pod on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. The links are listed in the show notes. Tune in next Tuesday, May 16th at 8 p.m. Eastern to hear the rest of the interview with Dr. Priscilla Navarro.